Hi, and welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.8 million people who have come together to resist the current administration through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. My name is Libby Chamberlain. I'm one of the co-founders of Pantsuit Nation. I'm here with Courtney. Hello. And uh, it's been a few weeks, uh, at least for me, to uh, being on the podcast, and we had a bunch of interviews that we recorded back in D.C. Uh, last month, and so we're excited to be back uh, kind of to our, our regular schedule um, and, and excited to bring on our guest in, in just a second. We'll also get back to uh, kind of current events and news in the latter part of the show when we talk about our call to action. Courtney, I know there's a ton going on. We had the um, the massive events around uh, family separation and reunification mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and that's an ongoing um, issue. We've got the SCOTUS nominee, um, the the NATO stuff happening today. So we'll we'll kind of get back to some of the more breaking news stuff. Um, but mostly, I'm I'm just really eager to to get going with our guests. So, Court, you wanna you wanna introduce who we've got today? Yes, absolutely. We are so thrilled and incredibly honored to be joined today by Alicia Garza. Um, Alicia is an Oakland-based organizer, writer, public speaker, and freedom dreamer who is currently the special projects director for the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which is the nation's leading voice for dignity and fairness for the millions of domestic workers in the United States. Um, Alicia, along with um, Opal Tometi and Patrice. Colors also founded the Black Lives Matter Network, a globally recognized organizing project that focuses on combating anti-Black state-sanctioned violence and the oppression of all Black people. And since the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, Alicia has become a powerful voice in the media. Her articles and interviews have been featured in Time, Mike, The Guardian, L.com, Essence, Democracy Now!, and The New York Times. We are so thrilled to have you. Welcome, Alicia. Oh, thank you for having me. So um, as I just mentioned, and hopefully people who are listening know this already, you are one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter Network. Um, And this has now been a movement that's been in place for um, a couple of years. And I was wondering if you could start off with telling us a little bit about how Black Lives Matter has changed or not changed since um, you founded it. Yes. So this month actually marks our five-year anniversary Uh, Since we were created. Yeah, we're super excited. And, you know, looking back, I think I'm really grateful. We're very grateful for the opportunity to organize and activate our people in such a way that we are taking on state violence and police violence and the oppression of black people head on. And um, for many of us, I think, you know, none of us could have anticipated um, the way in which Black Lives Matter has really become this generation's iteration of a Black freedom movement. And we're just honored, I think, to be a part of it. And, um, you know, we started off as a series of social media platforms that were designed to connect people who were concerned about racial injustice and wanted to fight back against it. Um, And we did that with people online so that they could take action together offline. And today, Black Lives Matter is much more than a hashtag. It's much more than a series of social media platforms. Black Lives Matter today is an organization that is 40 chapters in four countries. And that is really shaping um, the dialogue in this country about anti-Black racism, state-sanctioned violence, and ultimately democracy and governance. Amazing. And um, 
you know, I, I admit, you know, I, I heard the, the hashtag and I, I kind of saw Black Lives Matter um, a lot before I really understood or, or kind of looked into the, the founding story. And so um, for me, it was really, of course, inspiring to, to learn more that it was founded by women, that it um, does have this component really of, of understanding the power of digital organizing combined with an expectation of offline action. Um, you know, for us in, at Pantsuit Nation, that's obviously really relevant um, and, and a way to kind of model ourselves in newer movements and, and after the 2016 election and, and sort of a new wave of people um, who are being activated in, in different ways to kind of model ourselves over the tremendous work that, that you all have done in the last five years to show that the way that we express ourselves online and organize ourselves online can can make tremendous change um, in elevating conversations and actually kind of pushing policy um, to better reflect our values. And so uh, it's just very cool and inspiring to have you here as one of the leaders um, in that space. Um, and I, as Courtney was introducing you, I... Yeah, one of the the things that sort of stood out to me in your bio um, is uh, the idea of of being a freedom dreamer, um, and I think that that's a phrase that you've used to describe yourself and the outcomes of your work. And so maybe like reflecting on on your work with Black Lives Matter, what you're doing now, can you tell us a little bit more about that? What it means to be a freedom dreamer, um, or what freedom dreams are, and and how you envision those. Yeah, so freedom dreaming uh, is not something that I came up with. <laughs> you know, Robin Kelly in his book, Freedom Dreams, talks a lot about the contributions that Black people have made to transforming democracy and society as we know it. And freedom dream is an idea, an experiment, an innovation that um, is positioned to change the game, right? And we think a lot about what it takes for Black people to be powerful in any given moment. We think a lot about what it takes to transform the balance of power so that it is more equally distributed. Um, and we think a lot about what are the innovations that need to happen in this moment um, to get us closer to where we want to be. And so that is what freedom dreaming is. And you know, as I mentioned, it's not a new concept. Black people have been freedom dreaming ever since we were brought to this country um, out of necessity, right? So it's, it's both an opportunity to better understand why the things that are happening in our society are happening, who they benefit and who they impact, and also what needs to be done about it. And so I would say that for those of us who have either been active for a long time or have gotten more active recently as politics have turned rightward, um, that we all have the capacity to freedom dream and that everything that we do uh, to change the status quo, to improve the quality of life for everyone is a manifestation of freedom dreams. Absolutely. I'm, um, it's always funny when we're recording this podcast when someone says something that I like really want to take some time to sit with, but I am not allowed to do that right this minute because I'm interviewing you. So um, when, when I'm re-listening to this, I'm going to really um, absorb what you just said that I think is um, so, so profound and so powerful when we think about 
how we center ourselves in in moving this work forward. Um, one of the things that I know you are um, leading is the Black Census Project out of the Black Futures Lab, which rolls right into what you were just talking about, about what it looks like to create uh, new, new futures. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that project and why the data that you're collecting there is so critically important? Yes. So the Black Futures Lab is an organization that is transforming Black communities into constituencies that build power in cities and states. And the kind of power that we're working to build is independent, progressive Black political power. And the purpose of that is to be able to change the conditions in which we live and be able to make decisions over our own lives. And as you and I both know, uh, democracy is in a huge crisis. Um, this has been true for a little while, but I would say that that crisis has become more heightened uh, since the changeover in the current administration. And so earlier we talked about families being separated. And, you know, I would say that, you know, for black communities in particular, um, families have been separated for a long time through the crisis of mass incarceration, through the gutting of public services and supports that help families thrive, uh, and through being blocked from being able to participate in the decisions that impact our lives. And so the Black Futures Lab is really geared towards changing that. We know that the problems that our communities face are incredibly complex. And to resolve those problems, we have to employ innovation and experimentation but most of all, we need to amass political power to change the way that power operates in this country. And so the Black Census Project is our first initiative, and it's really geared towards better understanding who are Black people in this country, what are we experiencing in the economy, in our democracy, in society, and then finally, what is it that we want for our futures? And we're doing this project because in politics, what we know is that black people are often talked about, talked, spoken for, uh, but we're rarely engaged around what we want to see happen, how we want to see policy improve our lives, who do we want to see representing us in the halls of Congress and in our municipal bodies. And so this census project is really a data project that is intended to increase our community's capacity to organize and to make the case for what hundreds of thousands of us think and experience. But it's also intended to impact the ways that institutions engage us in the first place. So oftentimes when people think about black folks, you're mostly thinking about African-Americans, people who are born here in the United States. But the reality is black people ourselves are incredibly diverse and complex. Mm -hmm. Black people are migrants, right? There's 4 million, as of 2016, there were 4 million black migrants living in this country. Um, but when we talk about immigration reform, we're not talking about the specific experiences of black people who are also crossing borders and taking boats, trying to find refuge, attempting to find some kind of freedom or quality of life for our families. Black people are not just concentrated in urban areas. Black people also live in rural communities. Black people are also lesbian and gay and bisexual, transgender, gender variant. And black people 
are both incarcerated and formerly incarcerated. And some of our, most of our families, right, have been impacted by the, the criminal justice system. And so if we're not engaging the complexity of who black people are, we don't really have a shot in developing policies or candidates, to be quite frank, that can really speak to and pay attention to the unique challenges our communities face and the unique solutions that those challenges require. So the Black Census is reaching out to 200,000 Black people across the country. We have a field program that is operating in 27 states. Our census is translated into eight languages that Black people speak. And we are training 100 Black organizers from Black-led organizations across the country, not just to be able to administer the census, but also to be able to be steeped in the tools and the process of organizing, which is one of the most critical components for building power. And when we're done, all of the survey participants who collected data will have access not just to the data they collected in their local place, but the data that we've collected across the country, which we know will help to impact and shape different campaigns that people run, but it will also help to impact and shape the ways in which Black people, and in particular Black people who vote, are being engaged in the process of democracy and governance. And the data from the Black Census will be uh, used as the basis of a Black Public Policy Institute that we created at the Black Futures Lab that's called Black to the Future. And it's here (laughs) where we are training Black grassroots leaders to legislate solutions to the challenges that we face, to understand the nuances of government and governance, and to make positive changes in our communities that allow us to build the alternatives we need to some of the systems that we're entangled in. And so we're super, super excited about the lab. We're very excited about the census. And if people are interested in taking it, you can go to blackcensus.org. Um, And if you're interested in learning more about the Black Futures Lab, you can go to blackfutureslab.org. It's such a cool project. Um, And, you know, as you were speaking, I I just love the the kind of multiple layers that you're just talking about. It's not just the outcomes of the census that are valuable. It's the process, you know, both in terms of talking about and talking about why it's important um, sort of as a, as a, public issue, um, talking about all the people that are contributing and being trained through this process. And then obviously, uh, the data at the end is, is really valuable. And, and one of the things that we struggle with, you know, sometimes in, in this moment is, is, is that focus just on the last step and saying, well, what's, what's the metric? How are you measuring this? What's, what's success look like for you? Um, and sometimes it can be harder to have conversations about the value and the meaning, um, in the process because we're so focused. I think, you know, it makes sense that we're, you know, elections and and getting people, you know, taking back Congress and and all of these things just feel so immediate and pressing and dire. Um, But sometimes it's harder to have those more nuanced conversations around, you know, even like running for office where the process of running for office is incredibly valuable, even if you're not actively like retaking a seat that, that belonged to a Republican. And so I, um, I just think that you articulated that so beautifully. And I I hope that's a message that our listeners, um, kind of resonate with because it's something that we think about a lot in Pansuit Nation and looking at the work that other incredible organizations are, are doing the value of, of 
the process and the work um, being just as important sometimes as as mm-hmm. whatever the project's ultimate goal is. I would add that I have taken the census and it was incredibly empowering to do so, um, to, yeah. to know that I was participating in something that was going to be contributing to this sort of much larger project that's beyond, you know, my my neighborhood and my front door and my family, but my experience is, is critical to that, what's moving forward. And I was like, yeah, more of these. Like, <laughs> I just was really <laughs> excited when I, when I completed it. So um, yeah, to our listeners, please, um, please do take it. Um, so Alicia, we, um, you know, there's a lot of things I think that are really challenging right now that we've touched on over the course of this conversation. Um, certainly the, the Black Futures Lab and um, I think falls into the category of things that I'm about to ask you about. But I was wondering if um, you could tell us about something or someone that is like making you feel hopeful right now. So what is getting you excited about the landscape ahead of us as we move into what feels like a particularly challenging um, set of months and set of years? Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I'm inspired by a lot of things. And I say that because in order to get through turbulent times, we have to really also focus on the things that motivate us to stay in the game. <laughs> and so um, I am really excited about Black women across the country who are running for office. I'm excited about all the women who have signed up to run for office at the municipal level, at the state level, and at the federal level. Um, I'm particularly excited about Ilhan Omar, uh, who mm. is running for uh, we love her. Keith, Ellison, yes. <laughs> Keith Ellison's seat, and she's incredible, and we're so excited to have given uh, Ilhan our first endorsement from our C4 organization oh, that's awesome. called Black to the Future, and we're excited about the precedent that that sets, not just to have the first Somali-American woman to ever serve in the U.S. Congress, uh, but also for the potential of the policy that she will move on our behalf. Um, We think it's really important that while we celebrate the first, right, the first woman, the first gay person, the first black person, that we don't stop there, that we make sure that they're the first that really uphold our values and our principles and our vision for what America can be. So we're super excited to be able to bring those things together through Ilhan Omar. Um, And I'm really excited, actually, about um, the resistance that is still happening in this country. And I think as things get worse, they also get clearer. And of course, we never want to wait until things get worse in order to get more clear on what we need to do. But I feel really confident that... um, that there are more and more people who never saw themselves as activists, who are seeing now themselves as patriots and people who, um, for whom it's their duty, right, to make sure that we uphold the stated values of what this country is supposed to stand for, that we bring more people into the fold uh, to help us get to that place, and that we invest in those people um, in the same ways that we invest in our families and in our communities um, and in the possibilities for what it could mean for us to all live a better life. Those are the things that keep me going every day. So great. Amazing. 
Yeah. Well, agreed. Um, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we can um, wrap it up any better than that. So um, I think we'll leave our listeners with that. Um, other than, than sharing some more information about how to find your work, Alicia, can you, um, we've got the black futures lab um, and the black census. Can you tell us some other places where people can find your work, social media, websites, all of that? Oh yeah. You can follow us on Instagram, so we are uh, Black Futures Lab on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, also Black Futures Lab. If you want to follow the work of our C4, you can follow Black to the Future Action Fund on Instagram and on Facebook. And of course, we're also on Twitter under the same names. And then if you want to see what I'm up to in relationship to all these things, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Chasing Garza, on Twitter as Alicia Garza, or on Facebook in the same way. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks for having me. It was a joy. Okay, so amazing. So that was amazing. I'm like I know. you said, Courtney, like I'm still I want to like rewind immediately and like just re-listen to everything that she just said. So I'm looking forward to the podcast coming out tomorrow so I can um <laughs> just like let m- more of that kind of sink in and, and consider um all of the amazing things that she shared about the work that she's doing. And um she really is a visionary um and an inspiration for for all of us that are trying to to do anything. It's like just listen to Lisa. She Alicia, she's amazing. So um yeah. Absolutely. Hang out with her next week. I'm jealous about that. I know. I can't wait. Um, So this, I think, is a good time as we, you know, think about what is motivating us. Okay, so what is it motivating us to do? So let's talk about the call to action this week. Um, So as we know, the president has nominated Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And this is a move that threatens so many civil rights as we know them, things like abortion access, voting rights, marriage equality, health care, and more. Um, And it's really critical that we pressure senators to vote against this nominee. So no matter who your senator is, this is always critical. No matter who they are, call them. It's especially critical if you live in one of the states where the three Democratic senators voted for Justice Gorsuch. So that's um, West Virginia, North Dakota and Indiana. Um, And you can call and demand that they vote against Kavanaugh. Um, And additionally, in order to get to 51 no's um, against Kavanaugh, we need a couple of Republican senators uh, to flip that way. Um, So the two most logical targets are Senator Collins in Maine and Senator Murkowski in Alaska. So Mainers, please call Senator Collins. And everyone should be calling Senator Murkowski because she's actually indicated that she's willing to take out-of-state calls into her account in her vote. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I think sometimes it's hard to know what to do, right? And, and this is a long shot, just to be very clear, like, this is this is going to be hard to do. And so it's just that much more important for all of us to um, talk to our senators offices, um, make sure that they know kind of where we stand, even if you feel like you're in deep blue, deep red territory, uh, they still need to hear from us. It's just that like regular practice that we talk about all the time on the podcast and in, in the Pants Nation Facebook group. Um, please keep calling. And then, you know, the, the most, the best thing to do in terms of pressuring some of these um, senators who might flip or, or, or who are in areas um, that kind of are more up in the air, uh, is to convince your friends who live in those states to call them, because they're always going to be more interested in hearing from constituents. And so if you have friends in Maine or North Dakota, West Virginia, um, New York, you can also pressure Senator Schumer. Um, get your friends, look through your friends list on Facebook, um, think, you know, flip through your your phone contacts, see if you know anyone in those states, and, and just that 
you know, reach out to them is going to be most important. And then, like Courtney said, you can also um, call one of the centers. Senator Murkowski, um, like you said, has has indicated that that she's taking um, out of state calls, and and you know that's part of her process, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that you can do. The other thing that I want to mention is that you know this. This is like one step, and this is happening right now, but there are Senate races that are extraordinarily close uh, coming up in November. And so another thing that you can do is if you live in a deeply red or a deeply blue um, state and your senators aren't, you know, super pivotal one way or the other, um, is you can think about adopting um, a, a senator in one of those close races. There's a bunch of lists out there. You can just Google it, like close Senate races 2018, and you'll find um, some places, you know, Jackie Rosen in Nevada is one. Um, there's some, some like Claire McCaskill is defending her seat. So pick a senator and, you know, send them $5 a month or commit to canvassing, you know, doing out-of-state volunteering for them by phone or by text. Um Senate races are very much in play this year in a way that I think a lot of us Dems didn't think they would be Absolutely. even six or eight months ago. So like invest in, in whatever way you can mm-hmm. in some of those races as more of like a long-term way. You know, you make a phone call, it takes you three minutes probably. There's more that you can do. And this is all like part of the bigger picture. So that's just my plug for for looking kind of beyond your own state. And, you know, maybe calling a senator from another state isn't the most effective, but you can certainly donate <laughs> to candidates yes. outside of your Money own state. Money is um, always effective. Time is always effective. So if you have those things to give, please do. Um, and we're going to be updating our listeners um, yeah. and, and our and our members about some ways, if you are someone who wants to ve- volunteer for a candidate, um, especially a federal level candidate outside of your own state, we're going to have some tools coming out um, in partnership with some other organizations in the next month or two. So stay tuned. Um, meanwhile, you can even just sign up for their newsletter um, on their website. So they, you know, you're in their system and, and you can mm-hmm. um, kind of keep up to date with what they're doing. Absolutely. And um, really quickly, as always, the place to get great call scripts and find the phone numbers for your representatives is fivecalls.org. So yes, they're awesome. Let's I know they're thank you, five calls. (laughs) (laughs) We we love your resource. Um, So let's talk about the golden pantsuit. Uh, Speaking of amazing women who are inspiring, the golden pantsuit is, of course, our opportunity to highlight those people. Um, So today, our golden pantsuit goes to a woman who is making history. Um, We are recording this on Wednesday, as always. And um, today, Wednesday, London Breed is being sworn in as San Francisco's mayor. And she is the first black female mayor in the city's history. And she was elected in June. And the day this podcast airs, so tomorrow, Thursday, um, will be her first full day on the job. This is really exciting. London ran a really contentious race in California um, for this mayoral seat in San Francisco and was successful. And it's so exciting. Um, So let's hear really quickly from her um, in a conversation on MSNBC about part of what makes her election significant. I think the biggest difference is that you see so many young kids, especially young girls, they are so excited, they're energized, they want to get actively engaged in politics, they see a real opportunity for themselves in the future of San Francisco, which is so significant. So I'm excited about that. 
So uh, I will beat this drum forever. Representation matters. <laughs> that when you have people who look like their constituents, who look like young people out in the world in a diverse way that shows kids that they can grow up to be the mayor of San Francisco, it actually makes a difference in the kinds of ways that um, young people are thinking about who they are. And that's the, the next generation of our next set of elected representatives. So it's so exciting to um, be able to celebrate London Breed yeah, today. She's, <laughs> she's, uh, she's incredible and I'm also really excited. It was a, an interesting race for me watching from Maine um, because of ranked choice voting and, you know, there's, mm, yeah. it, it's just politics, you know, in, in cities like San Francisco, it's um, as someone who doesn't really understand how a lot of things work, you know, it's, it's hard to follow. And so, um, this is a situation where I like, you know, it's a city literally across the country from me, like not personally going to affect me, but her candidacy kind of like shown for me from, from across the country, because I just thought that she, um, the way that she was presenting herself in the media, um, and some of, you know, my friends that live out there, the way that they were talking about her and, and really inspired by her campaign, kind of like you're saying, Courtney, um, you know, just, just drew my attention. And so, um, I'm really excited that, that this day has come as well. So congrats to Absolutely. London. Absolutely. Congrats, um, more London. More um, and I, I can't not mention that former Golden Pantsuit winner Serena Williams has made it to the semifinals of Wimbledon because she is a yes. badass. And we all like kind of <laughs> knew she was going to do that because she's amazing. Um, but it's just so exciting to see her succeeding um, and just... I don't, are there, like, I feel like there are haters against Serena, but I'm like, what are you doing? Get on board. Um, so it's just amazing to see her uh, proving to everybody that she's still absolutely at the top of her game. And um, go Serena, kick some butt. Golden pantsuit 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> And just like All keep right. layering them on. Yeah. I know, right? With Serena, we could probably give her one like every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much to our guests this week, Alicia Garza, and to our team at Cadence 13. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It does make it easier for other people to find the podcast. You can find us at pantsuitnation.org, and I'll put it a plug in. Um, if you go to pantsuitnation.org slash actions, uh, we've got a new uh, page up on our website that talks you know, a lot about some of the stuff that we've been mentioning in the last several weeks has some easy links uh, to follow around uh, the Supreme Court, but also around journalism projects, reuniting families, running for office, registering to vote. There's a lot of cool things um, up there that we just got up. So pantsuitnation.org slash actions. We also encourage our listeners to join us on Facebook Messenger, uh, where if you just go into Messenger and type in Pantsuit Nation, um, you can join our, our service there where you get stories and calls to actions. We're trying to get a bunch of people subscribed uh, so we can really work on get out the vote efforts um this fall so that's cool on facebook messenger um otherwise you can follow us on instagram and twitter at pantsuit nation um and we will be back next week talk to you then court and until then remember this democracy is your democracy so stay engaged libby i will thanks court bye talk to you again bye